Evidence and Answers. Who are the Masons? Is Freemasonry simply a fraternity or is it a religion? We've seen their symbol on the backs of cars, but what do they practice or believe? Should Christians participate in the Masonic Lodge? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, listen as Pat's guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes, explains the teachings of Freemasonry. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where every week we bring compelling evidence for our faith in Christ, providing reasons for faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And this week we have a fascinating topic, the Masons. Who are the Freemasons and exactly what is this organization? Are they simply a fraternity that does good charitable works? Or are they a secret society that controls the governments and the world economy? Or are they a religion? Well, a lot of mystery surrounds this group called the Freemasons and to help us unravel the mystery of this intriguing society is the equally mysterious and intriguing Dr. Ron Rhodes. Well, Ron, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Pat. I didn't know I was mysterious. <laughs> well, the topics you study, <laughs> you're one of the top scholars on the cult and the occult. So, Well, you know, I do have a very large library of mysterious books, you know, occultic books and cultic books, and my wife, Carrie, makes me keep them all in one room in our house. She yeah. doesn't want those around anywhere else. <laughs> I hope they're not in the guest room. Well, in fact, that used to be where the guest bed was, but we had to change that policy. <laughs> you know, we had too many guests who were wide-eyed with pancake eyes, you know. <laughs> yes, well, you know, next time we introduce you here at the conference, we're going to have to have lightning and thunder and, and the organ playing. and Yeah, maybe some, you know, some special effects. Yeah, well, Dr. Ron Rhodes has a doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary in Systematic Theology. He is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures, which is a great resource there for you on these topics of apologetics, eschatology, but also the cults and the occult. He is a prolific author of over 60 books, several award-winning books there. He's a keynote speaker at conferences throughout the United States and one of the favorite here at our own Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Well, Ron, briefly explain to us the history of the Freemasons. I mean, there are some assertions that say their origin goes back to the Knights Templar, or some say even back to the builders of Solomon's Temple there. Tell us the history of this group. Well, you know, some people claim it goes back even further than that. There are some who claim it goes back to the time of Adam and Eve, you know, and they say that the uh, first Masonic aprons were the loin coverings that God designed for Adam and Eve. And, of course, that's just the worst kind of eisegesis, reading something into the Bible that's just not there. In terms of Solomon, you know, it is true that Solomon used some expert builders, but certainly there was no fraternal organization known as the Freemasons that existed back then. There's other Masons that claim they ultimately go back to the ancient pagan religions of Egypt and some of the other pagan nations. Now, I would say, Pat, that even though Masonry borrows some stuff from the pagan religions, certainly Masonry does not find its origin in the pagan religions. I don't know if you know this, but there are Masons who claim that among famous Masons would be Noah on the Ark, Abraham and Moses, Julius Caesar and Pythagoras. 
Now, that's kind of a strange claim. I mean, those guys don't have too much in common, but nevertheless, that's what the claim is. I think if you really want to get down to it in terms of where they came from, it really is something that emerged in the early 1700s. In fact, it was 1717 in London, and it was due to the efforts of three Anglican clergymen named James Anderson and George Payne and Theophilus de Sagularis. And so that doesn't sound too mysterious, and I think that one of the reasons why they come up with so much legend and lore is because it sounds a lot cooler to say it goes back to Adam and Eve or maybe to Solomon. But the truth is it was in the 1700s that it first emerged. Well, that's pretty interesting that some of these guys have connections with the Anglican Church. Can you tell us a little bit more about that connection there? Well, actually, the Anglican Church played very little role uh, in these individuals. But what I will say is that these guys came up with a different meaning for masonry so that it would fit what they're doing with the the Anglican Church. What I'm talking about is the distinction between what is called speculative masonry and operative masonry. Now, that might sound like foreign language to some of your listeners, so let me just explain what I mean there. Operative masons are working masons. You know, they have skills in terms of carving stone and stuff like that. Operative masons are masons that actually operate by working. And way back when, these guys actually did found sort of a union, you know, kind of like we have unions today. And so there was like a union of these operative masons, and that sort of enhanced their professional credibility. And they would also go from, you know, city to city, offering their services to builders and so forth. But what happened in the 1700s is what's called speculative masonry. And speculative masons are non-building masons. They have nothing to do with actually carving stone or having any other kind of building skills. And so their interest was in constructing a ethical heart within each human being. Now, this is where it ties into the church. They were very works-oriented. So speculative masons were really more interested in how each human being could enhance his ethical life and become a better person. And so they wanted to build a spiritual temple, not a stone temple, within the human heart. And so the people that join masonry today would be aligned with speculative masonry. In other words, they're not real masons. They're not real stone masons or operative masons. But rather, when they join, one of the things that they are told is that they must be ethical and they must follow the ethical principles of whatever religion they subscribe to. Yes, and I'm wondering if that particular history and connection with the Anglican Church is the reason that so many Christians get involved in the Masonic organization. There seems to have been a strong relationship or attraction there to this organization amongst Christians. Well, that's true, and it's been very, very controversial. And it's not just been among the, uh, the Anglicans, but there have, for example, been quite a number of Southern Baptists who have joined up with the Masonic Lodge. And you know, Pat, one of the real problems that you have there is some of the doctrinal incompatibilities that you have between Freemasonry and Christianity. And in fact, we could spend the rest of the hour talking about those differences. But just to give you one thing that I'm talking about, you know, when a person actually joins the Masonic Lodge, he goes through this ritual, and one of the things that the initiate has to say is, I am in darkness, and I am in need of the light of Freemasonry. Now, here's my question. 
how could a Christian in good conscience possibly say that he is in darkness since he already has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the light of the world? How could he say that? Isn't that like an attack against the person of Jesus Christ? It sounds like it to me. But that's just one of the many things that are incompatible between Freemasonry and Christianity. When we talk about Freemasons, I mean, are they a religion or are they simply a fraternity that does charitable works? Well, you know, you've asked a million-dollar question. Uh, as you know, Pat, there's no central authority in Masonry. They don't have a single creed where you have to agree to everything, and there's no doctrinal statement that you have to sign. There's no single book that defines Freemasonry for all people. And in fact, what is Freemasonry to one person might be quite different from Freemasonry of another person. And it's kind of comical in a way because you can read a number of books written by Freemasons themselves, and they will actually take different angles in how they define Freemasonry. But I think one thing that would be fair to say is that Freemasonry is a fraternal organization that places heavy emphasis on morality. But beyond that, the real important question is, is it a religion? And I have to tell you that even among Freemasons themselves, they disagree on answering that question. One very famous Mason by the name of Henry Wilson Coyle, who actually wrote some books, and yes, those books are in my library, Pat, stated that Freemasonry is undoubtedly a religion, and he compared the Masonic Lodge to a church. And in his thinking, Masonry is a religion without a creed, being of no sect, but finding truth in all. So in other words, it's a religion that embraces all the religions. And, you know, they would argue that they have prayers, they have holy books, they have religious utensils, they have their own funerals and all of that sort of thing. And so very obviously they say it is a religion. Contrary to that, though, there are other Masons. In fact, I would say the majority of Freemasons would deny that Freemasonry is a religion. And they will acknowledge that their big rule is you must believe in God. You must believe in a supreme deity. And you must believe in the immortality of the soul. But beyond that, they don't require you to believe anything else, you know. They don't think that they have any kind of a personal relationship with, you know, a single deity. They basically will tell you that all the different names from the different religions out there are pointing to the same deity. And by virtue of the fact that all the religions are welcome within Freemasonry, they would say that Freemasonry itself is not a religion but rather a philosophy. And the point that they would make to you is that whatever religion you subscribe to, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Hinduism, the main thing is to follow the morals and the ethics from that particular religion. And if you follow the ethics of that particular religion, whatever it is, then you have a good chance of going to the Celestial Lodge in heaven. And, and in fact, it's pretty much a given that all people will end up in the Celestial Lodge in heaven. So it seems to be like some kind of big ecumenical kind of religion or philosophy of this group here. Well, it is ecumenical. And, you know, I think that in the process of being ecumenical and pluralistic even, 
I think that what we could say is that Christianity really gets the short end on all of this, because, you know, Christianity very clearly defines certain doctrines. I mean, Christianity very clearly defines who Jesus is, and Christianity defines who God is. And what Masonry tries to do is to describe these doctrines in such general terms, such nebulous terms, such fuzzy terms, if I might put it that way, that their definition of God would fit all the different religions. You know, the more general you are, the more inoffensive it is to all the different religions. The more general you are, the more complementary you'll be with both Hinduism and Islam and Christianity. But the more specific you get, obviously that would lead to conflict among these different religions. And so again, what Masons do is they just define things in very general terms. Now here's what that means for the Christian. In a Masonic Lodge, they will never define God in terms of a trinity. So, because only Christianity teaches that God is a trinity. And they don't want to come across as supporting any one religion like Christianity. And so, therefore, they will not talk about God in terms of being a trinity. And even likewise, when they're praying, you know, when you and I pray, we pray in Jesus' name. And we do that because Jesus is the bridge between us and God. Jesus is the mediator between us and God, and it's in his name that we pray. But the Masonic Lodge removes all references to praying in Jesus' name. In fact, if you hear a prayer in the Masonic Lodge, even if they claim to be a Christian Masonic Lodge, they will always pray in the divine name. Now, that'll be something that would go along with uh, Hare Krishnas and Hindus and Muslims and all of them. Nobody's going to get upset about that. And so they avoid mention of Jesus' name. And i got to tell you, Pat, also, whenever they quote Bible verses from the New Testament that in the original contain the name of Jesus, they always leave out the name of Jesus. Now, here's my question. How can a Christian join up with an organization that not only makes you admit that you're in darkness and need the light of Freemasonry, but also removes the name of Jesus from prayers removes the name of Jesus from Bible quotations, and refuses to define God the way that the Bible does in terms of being a trinity. To me, I just see that as a huge, huge problem. Yes, indeed. Now, when they talk about God, they refer to him often as the great architect of the universe. What do they mean by God? Well, you know, that great architect of the universe is a very general term, I'm sure you've noticed. And that general term acknowledges that God is the creator. And in fact, a number of the religions do talk about God being the creator. So this is one of those terms that's used of God that, number one, is general enough not to be offensive. But I also want you to get the connection with masonry. You know, Freemasons, I'm talking about the, the original Masons who were stonemasons and carved stone, and they were very expert builders. Obviously, those guys were involved in architecture. They were involved in the actual building of the buildings, like a cathedral, for example. And so this idea that God is a supreme architect, or a heavenly architect, or a great architect, you're talking Masonic language. And so it's both general and it's Masonic, and that's what they want to communicate. But they'll never talk about a Trinitarian architect, they will never talk about Jesus being the Son of God, because only Christianity believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
And so, you know, again, they, they talk about God in terms of, you know, very general terms. I will tell you this, that when you look at the nature of God and the attributes of God in the Bible, we learn a great deal about what God is like. But when you look at Masonic books, one of the things you will discover is that even though they use names for God, they will never discuss the nature of God or the attributes of God. And so what you essentially have is an unknowable God. He's a general unknowable God. And again, it's that kind of God that all the religions would basically be able to go along with. And as I said before, it's taught by the Masonic Lodge that members of different religions are actually worshiping the same God using different names. Now what that means is is that the Yahweh of the Bible is the same as the Allah of Islam, and it's also the same as the Shiva of Hinduism and all the other deities out there. They're all referring to the same deity. Now, Pat, let me ask you a question, and I'm sure that you could probably talk for 20 minutes on this. Is Allah the same as Yahweh in the Bible? Are they the same, really? No. The, in fact, the Quran rejects the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Christ as blasphemy. Well, that's exactly right. The Trinity is blasphemy. The idea that Jesus is the Son of God is blasphemy. And in fact, Islam will tell you that Jesus was simply a prophet of Israel back in the first century and is a lesser prophet than Muhammad is. And he did not get crucified for man's sins, so he was not the Savior of man, nor did he resurrect from the dead. You know, that's a completely different deity than you have with Allah and Islam. And in terms of Hinduism, as you know, there's belief in just literally millions of deities, and at the same time believing that all these deities are somehow subsumed in one great reality, sort of a pantheistic deity. Now here's what it comes down to. In the Masonic Lodge, pantheism and polytheism and monotheism are all absolutely compatible. Now that is absolutely crazy. The fact is, is that monotheism, as in Christianity, and polytheism and pantheism are absolutely contradictory views of God. If one of them is correct, then the others must necessarily be wrong. And here's what it comes down to. If Christianity is correct, that means that the view of God of Islam and Hinduism must necessarily be incorrect. But all of that is blurred within the Masonic Lodge because they speak about God in extremely general terms, so that God is essentially unknowable. And then there's one other issue I can mention here, Pat, and that is the Masonic view that God's real name is Jabulon. Have you ever heard of that term? Uh, yes, I did, and that's because I read your book. Okay, well, good. <laughs> well, you know, Jabulon is allegedly God's one true name. Now, here's the kicker, okay? According to the Masonic Lodge, the term Jabulon is a sort of a compound word that joins the names of some, some other deities. For example, you've got Jehovah, Baal, and Osiris. Now, wait a minute. Baal is the pagan god of Old Testament history. That's the god that God, the, you know, the true god, condemned. And the prophets of Baal were not only you know stood against by the one true God, but they even experienced some burning sensations when they encountered the true prophets of God, if I might put it that way. The fact is, is that you cannot mix pagan gods with the one true God of the Bible, but that is exactly 
what the Masonic Lodge has done. That really causes me to ask yet again, how could a Christian join the Masonic Lodge knowing that Masons teach that God's true name is Jabulon, a name that com- combines Jehovah with pagan deities? How could a Christian join that kind of organization? Wow. Well, that's their view of God here. Well, how do the Freemasons then view Jesus? Well, you know, you can really get me started when you're talking about Jesus, because that's my favorite topic. And what they've done, basically, is they've completely redefined him to be basically a human being. He's a good moral teacher. He's a good moral teacher. He's an ethical philosopher. And in that sense, he might be similar to other philosophers, kind of like Socrates. But what Masons will be very careful to do is not say anything about Jesus that is distinctively Christian. For example, they're not going to want you to talk about Jesus being God in human flesh. They're not going to want you to talk about being the Son of God, because if you start talking that way, you're talking about God in a way that's distinctively Christian, and Masons want to be open to all the different religions. And so basically what they do is to say that Jesus was a man of high morality and he came to be an example for us. And even when he lost his life, he was setting an example of what it means to be self-sacrificial. And you and I know that that's absolute nonsense because the the reason why Jesus died was not to give an example of being self-sacrificial, but was to die for the sins of humankind. But you see, that's another issue that Masons disagree with because Masons will tell you that man does not have a fallen sin nature, that man is basically good, and that by following the ethical principles of the Masonic Lodge, you can actually earn your place in the Celestial Lodge above. Now, just to recap what I said a little bit earlier about Jesus, since we're talking about Jesus now, they will never invoke his name during a prayer. In other words, they'll never pray in Jesus' name. They will always strip his name from scripture quotations, even though the Bible very clearly refers to Jesus, and they'll go one step further. They will not only tell you that Jesus is a great moral teacher and an ethical philosopher, but what they're going to tell you is that Jesus taught a great deal about being tolerant of others, and he was full of love. He was love incarnate. And because he was love incarnate, What that means for you and me is that we must be loving towards people who may not see eye to eye with us on other religious issues, people of other religions. And because Jesus was tolerant, then that means that you and I must be tolerant of other religious teachings as well. Now, hold your horses. You know, I'm all for acknowledging that Jesus was full of love. However, that does not mean that Jesus gave away holiness. It doesn't mean Jesus gave away discernment. It doesn't mean that Jesus gave away the wrath of God. You see that the fact is, is that even though Jesus was love, if you turn over to Matthew 23, we see that Jesus sternly rebuked the religious leaders of the day for misleading and deceiving the people. And then go over to the book of Revelation. I could just really preach on this, Pat. If you go over to the book of Revelation, where Jesus is actually talking to the seven churches of Asia Minor, what did he really make a big deal about? He made a very big deal of not only holding the true doctrine, but confronting those that teach false doctrine, like the Nicolaitans would be one good example. 
And so the point that I'm making to you is that, yes, Jesus is loving, but Jesus was an absolute defender of the truth. And in fact, of all people, you would know this, Pat, because didn't you write a book with Norman Geisler on the apologetics of Jesus? Yes, indeed. And I think in that book, you probably covered a lot of the same kind of stuff that I'm saying right now. But the fact is, Jesus was not tolerant in the sense of, you know, agreeing with other religious viewpoints. He was only tolerant in reaching out and sharing his grace with all people. But he never bended at all in terms of what the truth is and the, the true God and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's very important that we understand that. We've run out of time for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Part 1 of Pat's study on Freemasonry. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you would like to partner with us, head on over to our website to donate. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Join us here next time for Part 2 of this exciting study on Freemasonry with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin.